Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 62, and we're doing chapters 26 through 28 of Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. We're getting a decent ways into to part one. We're almost done with part one, actually. We've got some good Dalinar content to do this week. We have a Dalinar flashback chapter. We have a Dalinar present day chapter. And a Shalon chapter that Dalinar is in, so that basically counts as well. So, how are we feeling about this week? We'll start with you, Paul. How are you? Good. Great. Elliot? Also good. Wonderful. Fastest intro ever. Okay. Two <laughs> words. Paul, go. Uh, memories revealed. Memories revealed. Elliot, go. Right and wrong. Right and wrong, memories revealed. All right, That's let's go. Three. All right, right, wrong, memories revealed. No, no and. Elliot, we'll start with you. Yeah, you're right. That was a that was a, a DQ over here, and was not uh, not allowed. We'll put a plus sign uh, instead of an and, and then it'll be fun. <laughs> there you go. So right and wrong for probably obvious reasons. If you've if you've read these chapters, the there's a couple different discussions about kind of right and wrong, and we see some characters struggling with right and wrong. And then I had to pick wrong because. Shalon keeps describing this darkness that she's encountering in Eurythir as like the wrongness, or it just it feels wrong. That that word seems to come to her more than like evil or darkness or something like that, which I'm a little intrigued by. So I balance that with right, right and wrong, or right plus wrong, right wrong. Okay, Paul. So my my words are memories revealed, which I feel like I rarely ever have my words kind of go together. They're usually just kind of two separate words. Um, memories, they, they are still kind of separate. Um, memories is mostly just because we have a flashback down in our chapter for a lot of this episode, um, as well as a lot of the stuff with Shalon. Um, I kind of have memories revealed together because we see that it's revealed to her about her brother, Helleran, and how he may have actually died um and that's kind of a big reveal there um so yeah the, that's the main reasoning for my my two words this week cool i think both of you did really well with your two words you very very applicable this week nice job thank you thank you does anyone have anything to bring up before we jump right into chapter 26 Nice today. Well, thank you. <laughs> All right. So I want to start this chapter and talk about this chapter with the title of the chapter. It says Blackthorn Unleashed. And that's how we start today's episode. When you guys, I don't know if you guys really pay attention to chapter titles or if you have strong feelings about chapter titling chapters in books i have a couple friends who do feel strongly about you shouldn't title your chapters in books but that's a whole different discussion for a whole different day um when you saw that or heard it in paul's case what was your expectation of of this chapter because we've seen dalinar have some dark tendencies in his youth here for a couple uh several now actually flashback chapters so what were your guys's expectations when you read blackthorn unleashed so i had a couple thoughts well just two specifically um i definitely knew that this was going to be a big dalinar chapter since we know he's the blackthorn um and i was really excited right away to see is this a flashback or a current day chapter the only way it could be a current day chapter is if something like really big happens that brings the Blackthorn out or something like that, um, which could have been possible. 
with everything that happens, but Teravanchin, I wasn't expecting it. Teravanchin comes clean on everything he's ever done, and Dalinar just beats the crap <laughs> he, out of him. Exactly, exactly. He just unleashes. Yeah, it's not impossible, right? Um, so I was curious, but it is the flashback chapter, which was the kind of expected thing. But I was definitely excited to see. I assumed it was going to be some big like we've seen him before kill the assassin in i would say blackthorn fashion um this was kind of the chapter of that which was pretty neat i i got to say i was expecting i was expecting worse actually based okay. off of the title when i saw that i i'm kind of waiting for the dalinar goes off the deep end or dalinar does something that is going to haunt him for the rest of his life completely you know ruin him and he's done some pretty questionable stuff but not really something of like the scale i'm expecting and so when i read down our unleashed i thought "Uh oh this is going to be the chapter and he does have some dark moments in here and it, he does do some things that you know i guess is blackthorn unleashed but i was expecting worse to be honest so He has a he has a moment where he's he's defeated this shardberry. He's won shards for himself, and Gavilar was going to you know let him keep the shards that he won on the on the field. But he's so unsatisfied and so caught up in the thrill that he just starts turning around and looking for anything that he can fight. And the first thing he sees is his brother in shard plate, and he's like, "Oh, that's a good fight. I'm gonna go kill him." And he gets like most of the way to him. And then Gavilar takes off his helmet and says like, Hey man, how you doing? Like, thanks for winning the battle for me. And that's when it snaps out of it. So, uh, Dalinar certainly had a moment here where it startled him and it kind of shook him out. And he's, he, he talks about shame spread multiple times, um, towards the end of that chapter. So he's certainly, sober by the end of the chapter but i think sober is a good word to use here that kind of implies an analogy where we're learning more and more about the thrill and its effect on dalinar and others and it it's so clear to me by this point that dalinar is is full-on addicted to the thrill he he needs it he's he struggles over what am i going to do when there's no more war like he he thinks about I how do I prolong this war so that I can keep having this moment so I can get my next hit of of thrill like it's at that at that level where he he's fully addicted to it at least that's that's how I'm reading it. And what's his uh? What's the logic there of what he decides to do to lengthen the war before he realizes that's a dumb idea. Are you referencing the the urge he has to kill Gavilar and you know? Yeah, if if yeah. Ga if Gavilar died, either a he could lie about how Gavilar died and go to war fully with that last high prince and yeah. completely wipe out everybody, or the entirety of Kolinar, his his own house Kolin, would turn on him because he's killed his brother, and so then he could fight that way. Yeah. That there's a moment too where the book describes the 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 author i guess describes the thrill as a voice within dalinar and that was an interesting moment that i haven't really associated the thrill with an actual entity or a voice yet but dalinar like hears this voice within him that's just egging him on like that's it that's all we get like keep going we want more that that brings in an interesting aspect of to the thrill. And I know we've associated the thrill with Spren before. There's there's kind of a theory out there that perhaps there's a Spren that's originating the thrill or causing the thrill or something like that. That seems to maybe point me in more in that direction of thinking there is some sort of a being that's driving the thrill for some reason. It's also I don't know if you guys caught this in this episode or in this chapter, but he catches the thrill in the in the high prince that he's fighting. He sees it in the eyes. Yeah, I don't yep. remember his name. Whoever he's fighting, but and then he gets jealous 
of him having the thrill and how dare he share that that feeling with me and that's what drives him to stab him through the face while he's you know dangling over this cliff so there's some really strange emotions happening in this in this chapter that's something i i don't think i actually caught on to so, so it was he saw the thrill in someone else yes and that okay that that kind of changes my thoughts about this event and and just like i guess my thoughts on it so i like what elliot was saying or i hadn't really thought of it that much before of like maybe there's something like like a sprint like being maybe not necessarily a sprint but something like internal or intentional with him that's causing the thrill the thrill um and i hadn't really thought of it being with other people as well but it could be like i don't know i, I think this is the first time that i've really been like there's something much bigger with the thrill. Uh, before I was just kind of like, okay, I get it. I knew it was capitalized, all that stuff, but didn't really like see it have a major effect. Um, but we can see now that it's just like a straight bloodthirst. It's not just like a a battle readiness or like a a, a love of combat, right? Um, And it's very, this is the first time we've ever had it explained to us or described this way that he could see it in somebody else. Um, in Back in the Way of Kings, Sadius and Dalinar were, would talk about the thrill. Because Sadius, uh, this is back in part two of the Way of Kings, Sadius is having this offhand comment of, do you still feel the thrill, Dalinar? But he, what he's really doing is he's trying to prod at him and say, are you still a warrior or do I have to take this war into my own hands as he does for the rest of the book? So he's trying to feel out Dalinar, do you still feel a thrill? Or, you know, and then Dalinar asks Aelin the same thing two, two parts later or whatever. If they, they kind of ask each other and nobody really talks about the thrill, you know. But it's um, in this chapter 26, we've been reminded that it's a unique, uniquely Alethi ability. Um, yeah as what Dalinar describes as is the Alethi advantage of the thrill. And so that's part of why he gets jealous is this guy's Alethi and he has the thrill too. So I'm going to kill him. So. I think in one of those passages, maybe multiple where they're talking about the thrill too, they, they talk about the, yeah, the awkwardness or like the, the intimate nature of the thrill and how that's why they don't talk about it is it's, it's kind of a personal thing. For each each person, and and that's interesting too, and plays into this scene here where Downard gets jealous, where he sees a throw like, no, that's that's my you know emotion or whatever that is, and that driving is 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 a little strange. That's kind of a strange aspect of it in my in my mind. Yeah, with with all of the things we've seen, I'm definitely at the conclusion that there's something like deep rooted behind it or, or like like tangible causing this um and that it's not necessarily a like yeah just a state that Dalinar likes it's just it's not just like part of his like emotion or like him just being a good fighter or things like that um and I'm curious to see I'm gonna guess that that's gonna be a lot of the kind of leading story with his with his backstory, um, going into this book, my thoughts were definitely like, okay, the Delano flashback chapters, we're going to learn about his wife, probably. We're going to learn about, what was the other one? Oh, him seeing the Night Watcher and stuff like that. And I'm going to say that, like, maybe even more important, we're going to learn about the thrill or what's caused that. It is a little fuzzy because even current day Delano, when we started reading, experienced the thrill right but he, that was Correct. when he was kind of snapping out of it and he kind of began to get sick in battle because of it um which i don't know how that completely lines up but i guess we'll have to to read and find out it, in that respect i guess i i gotta say back when we first started 
Way of Kings, Paul, you and I were theorizing about the thrill, and I think we we tried to compare it to like adrenaline or bloodlust or or something simple like that. Yeah. You know, by now, I think we well we well know at this point it's way more than that. It's way more mm-hmm. significant than just you know adrenaline rush on the battlefield. I think this is the first time that I've really thought about like, okay, this is something much bigger. Uh, I think yeah. I've kind of been playing the thrill off. Um, maybe it's because we're getting into this territory where I feel like there's a much larger sphere of evil and a more like, yep. I don't know what you'd call it, like a mental state of evil. There, there's a lot of like evil sprin and evil energy and evil heralds and like all this stuff um, that I'm giving way more fuel to those thoughts about like bad states of mind that characters are in even um it even makes me think so the way that delinor has we've seen currently delinor has kind of gotten past this thrill right um i'm not saying this is the same for kaladin but it even made me think about like okay actually i I actually i'm gonna run with this a little bit so each of our main characters i would say like like our three top characters i would say like kaladin shalon and delinor um, Eleanor has been made very evident with this thrill so far. Shalon has a lot of stuff we've seen. Maybe we've seen more or had more conclusions with her, like, internal mental state, like, with the lies and all her, like, past and just everything there. Um, and Delinor, or excuse me, Kaladin in the first book, which we don't see as much anymore, but it was like kind of that battle with depression and an internal struggle there. And I forgot the name of it, but they had like a name for like the sad Kaladin, right? <laughs> Wasn't there? Yeah. Um, the wretch is what he called himself. The wretch. The wretch. Yeah. And I'm starting to think that there may be a larger significance to these like, I guess, dark sides to our main characters than are initially there. I think it's very easy to just say, okay, it's just what they struggle with. That makes 100% sense. You don't have to answer past that. But the the thought of the thrill and it being a much larger problem has made me kind of reevaluate the problems that our other characters have faced internally as well. So maybe this is Dalinar's wretch, but he hasn't... Or he just passed that where Kaladin we kind of saw already passed that. Unsure. That's that's loose thoughts, whatever, but um that's kind of what I've been thinking of with this. I I really like that breakdown of our different heroes and the different battles that they're facing. That that makes a lot of sense now that you frame it like that. Yeah, that was really good. There was gonna be something I was gonna say, but I don't remember what it was. Mm. I'll I'll move to this next point and then we can close out this chapter. But zooming out a little bit. Oh, actually, I remember what it was. Um, the thrill. The reason why you're reevaluating the thrill so much right now is because you're seeing what impact it has on Dalinar and who he could be without it. Like later in his life, once he's already passed it, you know how good of a man Dalinar is, but you're seeing the impact of it now on young Dalinar and how tyrant and warlord and maybe worse things than that of what it could make Dalinar. So you have more perspective of Dalinar specifically with the thrill. I think too, not to drag this conversation on for too long, but it was either just one or two episodes ago, we were listing out the, very long list of villains we have at this point, right? There's so many different beings or groups that are out there that are kind of classified in the they're not good guys category. And I think because of that, we're now not even intentionally on the lookout for that, like the impacts of all of those different villains. And so I know I've kind of reexamined the thrill as, you know, okay, we know there's lots of evil forces out there now. Is the thrill caused by one of those which again kind of puts it in a in a different light a little bit yeah for sure 
before we move on from this chapter, I have a question. Yeah. Which honestly, this isn't anything major. We can kind of just brush by this, but it's something I noticed right out of the gate that I wanted to just kind of address or ask. So very, like literally first couple sentences of chapter 26, um, it talks a little more about Evie. Um, and just that she has different traditions, where she's from, all this stuff. With It shows her and Dalinar. And Dalinar's like, goodness, it would be so much easier if we could just get married, because whatever. But her traditions uh, set up long engagements, all this stuff. Um, and she also seems much more religious. And it seems like it's a different religion than Voronism, um, which is our primary religion we've seen, right? Yeah. Um, and I was kind of curious to ask, and mostly because she talks about the Heralds, uh, but instead of Yaziriza and Kalek, which, by the way, I have a two-part question. Okay. Yaziriza, is that Yezrian that we've yes. always seen? Okay, I guess that's the different name for him. There's like eight names for every Herald now. Um Anyways, Evie says all of them differently. She says, like, Kelai, I believe it is, instead of Kalak, um, which isn't a palindrome. I know Voronism is big on palindromes. I just was curious, Elliot, if you had any thoughts on this right now, or is this just like a... If it's something later on, it's something later on, cool. But right now, it's like not something to, to strain my brain about. Or what? I... I did notice this, and I too was am, am starting to clue into the fact that, that our herald people tend to have a lot of different names depending on what culture or like what background a person has. It seems like a lot of the different cultural groups and religions seem to have a lot of the same people, but they call them differently or they treat them a little bit differently. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what to what to theorize about that just yet other than maybe this is some sort of commentary on religion in general that it's lots of different ways of worshiping the same beings or something like that i'm really not sure at this point yeah i think mostly i'm i'm asking and i'm curious because i've honestly been really fascinated maybe I haven't talked about it that much but i've been super fascinated with the names we've seen and the names of the heralds kind of in particular in the palindromes in my mind, that's going to be something very important one day. And I don't know if it will. It probably isn't anything that big. But I was just kind of curious because her names for all of them were very different. Like, very different. It wasn't like a one-letter-off thing. Um, it, it's going to be like the that dark sphere. It's not actually important. He just, you know... <laughs> Shows it to you. Isn't this cool? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're never going to talk about that again. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So, which I just want to. So back when we started this, just this is getting real off topic here. But back when we started this podcast, Rhythm of War wasn't out yet. So this is like you're approaching as much information. Once we finish this book, you're approaching as much information as I had when we started this this podcast. And when you guys were so fixed on that dark sphere and you're like, okay, this is definitely like interludes. Let's get like, we're going to come back to it. Zeth's going to go back and we're going to pick it up. and It's going to be great. I was just, you know, I was, I was having a blast with it. I'm like, uh-huh. Yep. I didn't even remember it was in the prologue. I will be honest when we read it. I'm like, oh yeah, this is here. And oh, so no. when you guys were, oh, no. anyway. <laughs> what a mess. We will find it eventually. I'm determined. I will call up Brandon Sanderson and make make him tell me if it's not in, you know, by the end of the books here. Exactly. We need Anders answers, Branderson Sanderson. Alrighty. Closing out this chapter, Gavilar and Dalinar have achieved their goal. They have united united all Ten classic high princes of Alethkar into a under a single banner. They conquered all of them. Whoever didn't, you know, sign themselves over, Dalinar and Sadius and uh, Sabariel, all just kind of got back to Gavilar pretty quickly. But they have they've successfully united them as 
as the Stormfather or as the Almighty would like to say. So, where were you guys? Did you guys have any thoughts on this? Where are we going from here from the flashback chapters for Dalinar? We, we still have a lot of unanswered questions that I'm sure we're going to explore, like the death of his wife and the Night Watcher. We've got a few hints, a few little bits and pieces to help us kind of place that in the timeline, but no definitive answers. So I'm assuming that's where we're going to go next, perhaps. Yeah, I'm curious to see. So I there, there's definitely plenty of time for them to still have many more thrill chapters before we even get into anything that's like I'm seeking for the Night Watcher, I have these problems, whatever. Um, so I don't know. I I want to be like, yes, our next couple down in our flashback chapters will get the, that ball rolling, but it doesn't have to because I'm kind of just realizing we're still in the first part. Uh, which is kind of impressive. We are still honest. in the first part. We're like part. 30 chapters in, just about. And still in the part one, so let's go. I, okay, I'll I'll be honest here. There's two major things I'm fishing for. There's two major checkpoints between what we know so far in the flashback chapters and present day. What are they? They're Adolin and Renarin. We need oh. Adolin and Renarin somewhere in here. Fair enough. So. Fair enough. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's that's that is an important detail. Yeah. That we can't forget. So Do we know the age difference between those two is like a year or two? Uh I thought it was bigger than that. I, I like should know this. Okay, so in actually Midland, it's like four. I do know this. Kalanin and Renarin are the same age. And Adolin and Kaladin are three years apart, but the years are longer, so it's more like four. Remember we had that age talk where like yeah. 19 was like actually more like 24 and 24 was more like 29. Yep. Okay, so we've at least obviously Dalinar's wife Evie has to beget two sons that are three or four-ish years apart. So we have at least that much more to go before we hit her death, I suppose. So that's a good point, Paul. I think you said we've got a little, we've got some time still, some ground to cover. And as far as we know, Adolin and Renarin are going to be fairly young when uh, their mom dies because we don't know, like Adolin and Renarin haven't brought her up like at all. So... All right. 27. We have a Shalon chapter. And I actually want to start this off with our new Knights Radiant, the Dustbringer. We've got a couple crumbs of, of information about her. And I'm sure you guys probably picked up on these. But I just wanted to highlight them. We get the name of her Spren. We get... Uh, a definition of dust bringers and they like to tear things apart and find out what's inside is things. Yes. As is described. And Malata gives an interesting perspective on the forming of the Knights radiant, which I'll uh, talk about here in a second. If you guys don't, but I'll throw it over to you guys. what do you guys think of our dust bringer? I didn't think too much yet. Honestly, I, we got a little bit of info, like like you just covered, but it. Uh, Shalon's reaction to her was kind of funny. Her her statement when she leaves is like, "Well, she's annoying," and I, I don't know that I felt that way over that first interaction. She seemed she seemed fine to me, maybe a little anti Alethi, I suppose, but I don't know. I need more interaction. Yeah, pretty likewise. I was super super excited to have some some Malata dialogue. Um, and honestly, I think my biggest takeaway was hearing from Pattern afterwards and just kind of his unrest with it. 
I've I've we've always had this conception, or at least I have, of dustbringers are bad. Dustbringers are just bad. I don't know why, but they're just bad. Uh, they're bad news, um, and I feel like that was playing into that a lot more. And now I'm kind of no no guess other than just because just kind of throwing it out there. But I think that may have all been kind of like a red herring, and Milata will actually turn out to be pretty good, but uh, I guess I don't know yet. Um, you said that we found out about the Spren. I don't I don't remember that. Did we find out the Spren's name? I thought we did. If so, I missed it. The wiki says we did, but if we didn't, then we didn't. Because I definitely don't think we've had any dialogue with a Spren. She mentions, Shalon talks to her about, oh, you came here with Tervangian. And she says, oh, no, not really. My Spren was interested in in the tower, and that's why I'm here. Um, Does that ring a bell? Because she, I'm pretty sure she names her, I'm pretty sure she names her Spren right then. It does. Her friend's name is Spark. Thank you. See, this is the type of thing where I have to like dance around spoilers to see if we actually know or not, because I don't remember what you guys yeah. know and what you don't. So, okay, okay, I, I did not remember that either, but I just uh, I just looked it up and she did say it. So, if the name is Spark. That means it's a yellow spren, which means it's a void spren, which means dust bringers are nothing but trouble. So, dust bringers or void bringers confirmed. They have yes, they at least have void spren. Anything more about Malata? I'm very excited to learn more about her because we've seen this about like, oh, she breaks things or she will break things. But same with all of our Knights Radiant, especially with like Renarin, just because we haven't. But I'm really excited to just see what they will do, like what they can do. We haven't really seen that from Dalinar either, have we? Or Bondsmith. Um, He's just been talking to the Stormfather. That's pretty much what his powers has has been. been chatting him up. Yeah, yeah. I I'm really excited to just see all the the nice radiant powers unleashed. So, I I totally agree. I I envision the Dustbringer power. At least you know we know they're going to have two surges, right? So I imagine one of their surges being directly related to their destructive reputation and them just being able to like you know put their hand on something and just disintegrate it. Like that's what my that's where my imagination goes with what they're going to be capable of. So I'm. I'm really curious to see too what it's actually going to be. One of the first thing, or one of our first examples of surge binding was actually something similar to that. It was just Yasna turning a rock to smoke way back in the Way of Kings. It was disguised as a soul caster at the time, but. Mm-hmm. True. And Shalon stealing the soul caster made her the biggest villain. Yep. <laughs> Simpler times, you know? Simpler, Simpler times. times. <laughs> All right. Amram is back in the the spotlight here. It's been a while since we've talked about Amram. Last time we talked about Amram actually on the scene, we've mentioned him a couple times, but, but last time we saw him was right before the Battle of Narok. He was dishonorably discharged as the head of the Knights Radiant by Dalinar and he we and then he kind of stayed behind we had a a random chapter at the end of words of radiance that i don't know if you guys remember that one but he's walking around the monastery finding talonel um but that's the last time we've seen him and he's here and he gets named regent of house sadius so for all intents and purposes, he is Sadius now, uh, the leader of House Sadius, because uh, ELA didn't want to do it herself. So he's back. What are we? What, what are we thinking? Seems appropriate, I suppose. We we have a Sadius-sized hole in our our villain roster, and Amram fills that slot rather appropriately, I think. 
I didn't think of that, but you're totally right. <laughs> um, I honestly couldn't remember if, if Abraham was still alive or not. Um, which sounds silly, but I just know he kind of. I feel like he just got kind of ran out of town before, and we never really heard from him since. So, yeah, he's back. I don't have any strong feelings about it, honestly. Shalon does, because Shalon thinks he killed her brother. So Adolin and Shalon kind of storm out of the room as soon as Amram opens his mouth. And Shalon's like, man, or Adolin's kind of ranting and not really paying attention to Shalon of like, man, I hate that that guy. He's everything that I hoped he wouldn't. Like, I looked up to him so much like Kaladin did, and then he turned out to be worse than the worse than all of us. And then Shalon kind of absentmindedly says, yeah, and he killed my brother. And Adolin turns to her and says what now <laughs> excuse me and then she tells him about this the shard blade and adolin corrects her and says uh no amram got that shard blade from kaladin and kaladin's whole whole shtick with him is kaladin won a shard blade and amram st- stole it from him and killed all of his men and shalon deliberately doesn't confront that new piece of knowledge. She shoves it to the back because she hasn't spoken a truth about it yet, so she's allowed to do that, apparently. And Shalon has just learned that Kaladin probably killed Helleran. So, I was actually a little disappointed by this scene. I thought this was going to be a plot element that ended up being, like, part of a climax somewhere where Kaladin and Shallan are, are forced to work together to save the world. And then at that critical moment, Shallan realizes that Kaladin is the one who killed her brother. And like, there's this, a huge like dilemma and, and struggle and big character moment. And instead it just kind of like gets mentioned casually in conversation. <laughs> Adolin and Shallan are just talking and Kaladin's Shallan, or Adolin is, you know, Correcting her. Oh yeah, that you know that was Kaladin, right? Oh, and then they move on. It's like, wait, what? I was so waiting for that to be a huge moment for Shalon, and nope, just kind of gets swept under the rug. I feel like that's kind of intentional for Shalon's character, though. She doesn't deal with anything. She doesn't confront anything that she doesn't have to. Yep. She just sweeps it under the rug and moving on. So that's true. It still that's might be coming. Else- there's something I was going to ask about because we've seen so much of Shalon. Like, basically, I would summarize Shalon's story so far in this book as just trying to sweep things under the the rug, almost. Or, like, dealing with her emotions in such a horrible way, just a really bad way trying to bury them, that it's going to explode. It's just go. It's going to explode at some point. In this book, I think. And I'm just kind of wondering, like, what's going to happen? Because there's just been so much of it. And we've seen... I don't know if it's going to be kind of like last book, where we saw Syl and Kaladin's bond almost break. Um, If Pattern and Shalon's bond is going to break. Or something like that. Or or what's going to happen? Is she going to lash out? Is she going to try to kill Kaladin? Or someone that Kaladin likes? Or... What? I I don't know if she'd go that far, but like I'll I'll say that know. kind of leading into my next thought from this chapter, I'm starting to wonder if if she is somehow linked to the darkness that's here in your theory and what that means for her character and what what is gonna happen with her. Yeah, is she gonna have that moment where she breaks bond like you're talking about paul or some sort of shalon turns to the dark side or whatever that looks like i'm 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 scared for where shalon's gonna go too because yeah her suppressing all of these difficult things cannot end well that's that's it's got to be a ticking time bomb she finds those sketches and she asks pattern when did i do these and they're the 
the word that the book uses that Brandon Sanderson uses is grotesque as there's this uh, picture of a horse that's being like mauled and the word that is is used to describe it is grotesque and then there's another page of like just completely black spiraling down into an abyss and pattern has no idea where they came from and Shalon's like I have no idea when I did these these are really gross <laughs> yeah it's definitely showcasing that Shalon's mental state is definitely kind of going it's going off the rails a bit it's been like spiraling downward and now it's like we're starting to see the fruits of that in her so I don't know how far it's gonna go Anything more on Shalon in this chapter before we talk about Dalinar some more? I'm kind of excited to talk about Dalinar some more. All right, let's do it. So, geography lesson again. Azir is all but lost to to the to Dalinar and his coalition at this point. They have said that they intend to destroy their oath gate because they are afraid of the Alethi using it against them. And Dalinar is basically lost uh, for them. Thalina is the island city on the south of Roshar, I believe, south of the Frostlands. Um, we've seen Shalon down there in the, pre in the past. And Queen Fen is the leader of Thalina, and that's a little bit more promising, but she's still super cautious about trusting Dalinar. She's stuck between everything that Dalinar is saying, and like she has a she, uh, she has a phrase during this chapter of, "If you're super sincere about this, I apologize, but I can't I can't take you seriously because of because you're the Blackthorn, and if you and if you." pay close attention each time she addresses him she calls him the blackthorn over dalinar or anything like that so that's ex that tells you where her mind is is it, her mind is still in these prequel chapters of old tyrant kill everybody ask questions later dalinar so and i gotta say i i don't think i blame these monarchs who are pushing away Dalinar, based on what we've seen in the flashback chapters now, the, the old Dalinar, I don't think I would trust him. If that's all I knew, were these stories of Dalinar brutally conquering his own land and the way he's just a violent juggernaut on the battlefield, would I open up my city to him? No, I don't think so. I think I'd rather fight the, the Voidbringers than I would you know, risk Dalinar charging in and taking over my city. So based on what I had known of Dalinar at the end of Words of Radiance, I was frustrated that no one would work with him. But now that we've learned a little more about his past, I kind of get it. Yeah. And this whole past that everybody's considering that we're just learning about is very public. Uh, he was marching with blood and fire across the entirety of Alethkar to unite for Gavilar. He certainly created himself a reputation. It's just not a reputation that he can use to unite the entirety of Roshar with later in his life. So. So we have a couple interesting discussions in this chapter, one between Dalinar and Amaram one between Dalinar and Teravangian, and one between Dalinar and the Stormfather, actually. So let's talk about the first one that happens, and it's Amaram. And Dalinar challenges him. Dalinar is extremely hostile to Amaram, as as he should be. Um, he accuses him of killing innocent men to... Uh, to acquire his shard blade and that everything that Caliban said was correct. And then Amram calls him a hypocrite and says, okay, but how did your brother get to the throne? How are you high king of Urethiru or whatever the heck your title is now? Like, 
how many people did you kill to get to where you are? And Dalinar doesn't have a good response for him. So he goes and talks to Tervingian, um, but we'll talk about that in a second. What were you guys' thoughts on Amram's retort there? So I think throughout our story so far, it's been like this notion of every high prince is bad, except Dalinar is actually honorable, right? He's been our one example. From what we've seen, I would say, like, it sounds like Gavilar is revered very highly as a great king or whatever. Not really going to touch on that too much. But in general, out of all of our high princes living, it seems like Dalinar is our one honorable one. Um, and I think seeing the flashback chapters and seeing this, it's kind of like, wait, you know, Am- Amram is kind of like, no, you're not this one honorable one, even though that wasn't really the debate. This conversation here with Amram and Dalinar, well, it's not really a conversation, actually. It's more just Amram accusing Dalinar, actually reminded me a little bit of the discussion that Shalon had with Marais a couple chapters ago, because Amram's kind of pulling the the morality card here. He he brings up, basically accuses Dalinar of saying, basically accuses Dalinar of saying, you can't set aside your morality when it's convenient for you. And in some ways, he's got a point here. I think in some ways, he is pointing out the duality of Dalinar's nature, the violence that he's done, and the flip-flop that he's had to this now honorable different side, but at the same time, just his his flippant use of morality reminds me of Moraes, and gives me that kind of creepy-crawly feeling of you you can't use that as justification, because if Amram does that, and it's saying at least I'm on a side is basically what he's saying. He's basically saying, at least I have a stance. You, you're flip-flopping back and forth. Well, if that's true, and we look at some facts, clearly Amram is on a side, and it's not the good one. It's yeah. the side of, I'm going to kill you because I think I deserve that shard blade more than you do. Well, hang on a second. That That doesn't sound like the honorable good side of of morality so i don't know that amram's argument works super well in in his own favor but it does bring up the discussion of you know right and wrong that were my two words and and my biggest takeaway from this and you know how do you decide what is right and what is wrong or and who gets to decide you know all of those kinds of questions Leading into the next part of this chapter, we get more Noadon content. It's been a hot minute since we had Noadon content, but we uh, we get some quotes from the Way of Kings uh, between Dalinar and Teravangian. I really like this parable thing that they talk about, and Teravangian actually gives something away. Um, I don't know if you guys catch it, but. Dalinar is explaining part of this parable of, you know, what what's the occupation of these three or four guys? I don't remember what they are, but three of them commit a murder and the fourth one is innocent. And Noadon is asking the reader, you know, what do you do? Um, like, do you, do you have to kill all four? Do you let all four go because you can't pin who the right, like who the right one is? And Teravangian gives an immediate answer like he has this like he's kind of zoned out you, you get the you get the feel of Dalinar talking to Teravangian and Teravangian says you kill all four and that he says it almost immediately even before he asks what Noadon uh how he explains it in his book which Teravangian I'm fairly certain 100% believes that that you need to kill all four to make sure you get the murderers out because of what he's doing with the death rattles. He is willing to accept the deaths of those innocent people to try to do whatever he's doing. Um, He deems that as worth it. So, but Dalinar argues the other way of no, you one, one innocent life is not worth that, that, that price. Um, 
So they go back and forth a little bit about it. And uh, Dalinar actually says that Noadon himself never answers the question in the book himself. He never actually gives an answer. He gives an answer to the parable and that the king, whatever this of the story is that he's telling, the story within the story, we're getting really deep here, is <laughs> uh, the king decides to imprison all four and that he calls that justice. And Teravangian calls the guy in the story a coward because he wasn't willing to commit to, to justice, wasn't willing to commit to make that tough decision that Teravangian is convinced that he has to make because that's the position that he's in. So, but Noadon himself explains that he doesn't know what he would do in that situation. So what were you guys? I really like this parable. Um, in like as a as a the way of kings content so what were you guys' thoughts on on this excerpt here i also really liked it it was definitely my favorite part from this chapter i believe um so for for one it it seems pretty straightforward in this chapter that teravangian is having a smart day um just from the way he acts and stuff and delinor is like well maybe i doubted this old man you know right um it seems pretty pretty obvious he's having an intelligent day here um with this parable in general i think it was kind of cool to see that honest like honestly delinor kind of had a little buddy to talk about that with because i feel like he's always been the one person who's like you should read the way of kings you should read the way of kings like i learned a lot Excuse me, sir. Um, and, do you have a minute to talk about our Lord and Savior <laughs> Noadon? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and Teravangian's, you know, he was there to talk about it with him. But as far as this parable, so doesn't Dalinar say he, he would settle on, oh, like it would probably be better to imp just imprison them? Um, That's what the guy in the parable to... does. Dalinar says okay. he would let all four go because it's not worth... Uh, the life of one to uh to kill all four it's not worth the the life of the innocent man i see yeah i i like this section too for the philosophical aspect you know asking those tough questions of what is what is the right thing to do in this in this difficult situation so it it got the got my brain thinking got the gears turning i i did want to mention though dalinar hardcore dodges the question <clears throat> if you go back to the first question teravangian asks them how do you know what's right right isn't that how where how he starts yep. this off is because he doesn't Dalinar. he doesn't believe in the almighty so how does he know what's right if the almighty doesn't right. exist yeah right he's saying okay there's no almighty what tells you what's right and wrong and Dalinar says let me tell you a story. Yes. <laughs> he, he doesn't actually, he doesn't even answer the question with the story. Like the whole point of the story is that's a really hard question. I don't know how to answer it. And I was, I was a little disappointed that there was no answer that Dalinar pretty much dodged the question. But the, the story he tells was, was very interesting and revealed a lot about how Teravangian approaches his ethics, if you will, right and wrong and how Dalinar approaches his ethics and how Teravangian clearly thinks everything is a, is a scale. As long as the good outweighs the bad, then you can do whatever bad you need as long as the good outweighs it. As Correct. long as it, you know, tips one grain of rice towards good, then you do it. Dalinar takes what I think is a much higher and more honorable road to say it's not about the good outweighing the bad. It's about not doing bad it's about completely eradicating wrong whenever possible and i think in reality you can't right there's always as teravangian points out i think there's always going to be flaws in the system there's always going to be times where an innocent man gets punished but i don't think this is just me talking i don't think that excuses the doer from trying to completely eradicate the bad if that makes sense. And yeah, Dalinar doesn't really take a position here. I'm curious if this will come up again, maybe. Will Dalinar, you know, revisit this of how do I decide what's what's right and wrong? But this it 
it got the it got the gears turning pretty good this little section on right and wrong the stormfather actually is an interesting take on this on this chapter as well where dalinar is having uh you know a crisis that's he's just been smashed by amaram in conversation and teravanchian's given him some food for thought he goes to talk to the stormfather and the stormfather has a very interesting opinion on dalinar he says that he's not a hypocrite and dalinar has a very specific quote that he says back to him do you guys do you guys know this quote off the top of your head that i'm referencing no but i have it in front of me go for it i am dalinar said softly but sometimes a hypocrite is nothing more than a person who is in the process of changing yep if you look up oathbringer quotes that one is fairly fairly popular of uh, a hypocrite is sometimes a hypocrite is nothing more of a, than a person in the process of changing it's a really good quote that dalinar is really wrestling with as he's getting his memories back of and he's trying to convince all of these like monarchs because when he started out he's like okay i have the solution to save roshar and this is the the obvious answer that everyone's going to flock to me we're going to fight the void bringers it's going to be great and then he's confronted with his past of well actually you can't just do that because nobody trusts you oops because of what you used to do so he's really he has changed but there's also this weird twist on it as he doesn't really know who he used to be at this point. So that's why he's frustrated with all these monarchs is I'm this good person. Why don't you listen to me? I'm trying to do, I'm trying to help you and nobody believes him. So he's uh, trying his best, but I'm loving this aspect of down our story. That's forming around redemption around this bloody, past that Dalinar has and the way that he's redeeming himself or trying to redeem himself to become something better in the present. But I, I love how the book is exploring the difficult side of that, how change is not easy. You can, you can tell someone, hey, you need to change, or you might even know about yourself, hey, I need to change, but change is really hard. And that's what Dalinar's going through right now is trying to battle with is this hypocrisy? Is it change? Am I justified in imposing my honor codes on everyone when I didn't live up to them in my past? You know, all of those tough, tough questions that come with making yourself better. I really like that the book is delving into that and making us think about what it takes to take ourselves from something that's terrible or even evil, perhaps, and making it better. Yeah, I I really like this book for <laughs> several reasons, but we're we're getting into one of them. So I I will say I'll I'll tack a caveat onto the end of that though. The and you mentioned it, Trevor. The fact that Dalinar doesn't really remember his own past is a very interesting twist on this because I'm looking at Dalinar as he was this bloody violent violent tyrant who is now a much more honorable good leader the kind of assumption there is that he's grown from bad to good what if the only reason he's good is that he doesn't remember why he was bad right and that could wreck this whole thing for me yep if if it's not a redemption story if it's only memory loss ooh that's going to be a tough thing for me to deal with I'm I'm really <laughs> curious to see where it's going to go. It just begs the question, why did he go to the Night Watcher? We still uh -huh. don't know. Yep. That is true. That's something I never thought about of Elliot. Like, we, we've always had this thought that, okay, he's at a low point where he wants to grow, so he seeks out the Night Watcher for help. But what if he never really sought help or didn't, you know? Yep. Or... What if the book is trying to argue that he was incapable of changing without completely changing his mind, like completely 
putting a new persona on top of what yeah like a complete rewire not just like a shift but like a complete rewire yeah and and what if all those memories do eventually come back and dalinar realizes that he didn't really change that's who he was and reverts back to that and there is no change ultimately it's just gaining those memories back that if it that could be an interesting twist here i could if his character arc was like really bad to really good where he remembers really bad and so goes really bad or something yeah. i don't know that'd be that would be odd and something i've never seen before but would you guys like to read and find out indeed yes wonderful let's reconvene next week thanks for joining me for these couple chapters paul and elliot and we will end part one to next week to tomorrow tomorrow week tomorrow same time next week let's go